welcome to Season 3, Episode 10 of You Call That Radio's audio podcast. Today, we're going to be speaking to an absolute legend, Gary Fraser, who many of you know as Trainspotting 2, as Assistant Director. He's also got an amazing new independent YouTube series called Supply and Demand It's Out. This happened earlier on um, in the summer of this year, but by all accounts, it's probably one of the best interviews that's ever happened in You Call That Radio History. So we thought we'd put it out on the audio podcast to kick off a whole new selection of interviews that my friend Marco has helped master the audio and do a bit of processing on, which means we've got six episodes ready to go. So this is the first it's with Gary Fraser, and it's a very inspiring interview. But before that, I've got an announcement to make. I'm leaving Scotland. It's not going to affect the podcast. I'll just play the little statement that I put on YouTube. Most of the stuff that we do is on YouTube these days at youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. But I did a little announcement a couple of days ago just explaining that I am leaving Scotland. It's not going to affect the podcast, but if you're a bit curious about the reasons why I'm leaving Scotland, then listen to this. If you just want to get straight to the Gary Fraser interview, then you can fast forward at 10 minutes and get on with it. This is You Call That Radio. Thanks to the patrons. You are the reason that this is all possible. If you want to support the show, it's patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. Let's go to that announcement. I'm leaving Scotland for a while, very, very soon. It's all happened really quickly, and I just wanted to get this message out to the patrons first and explain why and what this means for you call that radio. And for me, as an artist, then I'll maybe share it wider after that. But people who know me really well will know that the last few years has been really tough. I don't really speak about stuff from my private life online very much. Normally, I stick a grin on it, do the gigs, do the podcast, and while juggling various freelance jobs at the same time. All the while, I've been suffering many bereavements, including the loss of my father, none of which I really had time to grieve properly. My partner was also in extreme agony the entire time, which recently had a direct impact on her job, so she's lost her job uh, because because of that. I also have a lot of friends and family with mental, physical health issues that I've been helping throughout, and all of this has kind of taken a bit of a toll on my own health. And a lot of the, the issues that I'm mentioning actually predate lockdown, although that certainly didn't help matters. And then when we turn to the state of the live music scene in the country, or just the state of the country in general. I was kind of hoping that when restrictions were lifted, that we'd all go back to normal. In fact, I hope the gratitude of having live events again would make everything even better. But sadly, I don't know why, cost of living crisis, most likely. There's a bit of a volatile division in social media opinions. Maybe people are getting older, or maybe people are getting used to staying at home. I don't I don't really know. But the fact is, is I'm putting a lot of energy 
into events that lose money and as for performing like this last year or so it's been the first time that I've really kind of struggled a bit with self-doubt, stage anxiety before I went on stage. It's just been a really stressful time and obviously the band, changing band members, a lot, a lot of the band members have been th through a lot of bad stuff as well. And for whatever reason, it's made performing a bit of a task as well. I've just been finding it more difficult to do. And the events themselves are becoming stressful and it's becoming expensive. It's, it's getting hard to run an event that people can afford and still pay the artists right and the venues spiraling costs as well so yeah i can't do that anymore i don't have money to to lose on events and putting a lot of work in and then I, I, I just can't do it i also tried to save some festivals that were struggling that are either dead now or they can no longer afford for me to work with them at the minute, so I, I just can't be, I don't have the energy or the time to put into events and work for free or lose money on stuff, and um, I've been offered other jobs that are not a good fit, these jobs would, would make me miserable, so that would feel like I was quitting, and I'm not quitting, I'm, I'm, this is the opposite of quitting, but regardless, things need to change, I need to change something up. And the main thing that's getting changed is location. I mean, that's just really the only thing, really, that's changing. We're going to, well, Joe's lost her job as well, so we need to downsize the flat we're staying in anyway. So we're going to have to move house. Joe suggested sort of our harebrained idea of trying out a different country for a while to see how it goes. Now, this has been in the in the back burner for, for years and years. It's always been in the background that if money was no object, if there was absolutely no... Money was no uh, barrier, then it, we always thought it'd be great to just go somewhere warm in the winter, record music, write, and then tour and release in the spring, summer, if money was no object. Um, then when you call that radio took off, I did start thinking about how cool it would be to do interviews and with people in underground music scenes in different cities. But when, once again, that, you know, travel vlog type stuff, but try to keep it, keep it, keep it real. You know what I mean? But obviously, just the reality of, of doing a job and doing that, it doesn't really make sense. But now, neither of us are employed. It's like, well, we could maybe be skin artists in a different country with better weather. So... I hate moving house, so but I'm just we're gonna to need to do it anyway. So I'm just gonna take a laptop, pack a rucksack, and get on an aeroplane. So just get a decent laptop, pack a rucksack, and go. All my belongings are gonna be given away or sold. What's left, you know, some stuff that I need to keep put any storage somewhere so if anyone I'll put a list up online soon if anyone's wanting some free stuff or anyone wants to buy anything or anyone wants to has a bit of space that they can um, store a few bits and bobs then that'd be great uh, then my hope is 
without the distractions of having another job, I'm just going to be a full-time content creator, for lack of a better word. But focusing the podcast, the YouTube channel, and writing full-time, just be a writer, work on music, start writing a book, finish the the poetry pamphlet that I've got a publishing deal for that I've still not got around to doing because everything's been so busy. And uh, it's a risky, everything's risky, it's a risky move. Um, but I'm taking risks all the time in Glasgow anyway by doing what I'm doing. So what's the quote, repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of madness. I think Einstein said that, or Marlon Monroe, or the guy from Peaky Blinders. It's usually one of the three that says stuff like that. So, from now on, I'll be making my own decisions. Obviously, if some sort of suitable remote work of, like, booking or promotions does come up, then I'd seriously consider that, if I can do it remotely. But, right now, it seems like working for myself is a way forward, no bosses, no colleagues, just me. Make my own decisions. I can ramp up uh, the video essays, commentary type of content I've been doing. Focused on music, news, culture, daftness, just daft stories, and much more. I'll still be able to interview people on live streams online. We can still do all of that stuff. I can still reviews, reactions, playlists. So I can, and I'll still be helping to book and create a few things from afar as well. Um, while I'm away, my goal is to speak with different nationalities in person, open up a dialogue, a network between Glasgow and other art scenes in other cities, try and get some gig swaps on the go so from people from Scotland can go over there, people from there can come to Scotland. And... Um, yeah, I hope to be back before festival season, if everything goes well, hopefully be back before festival season, and then maybe this could be a thing where maybe I do go away for a few months, and then come back, that'd be the ideal scenario, but I don't know, I don't know how it's going to work out, uh, I'd have no idea, so it's, uh, yeah, so even though I'm going, you call that radio's going nowhere, well, you call that radio is going somewhere. You call that radio is going international. Nervous, excited. This is happening soon, by the way, very soon. That the the leaving do will be November the eleventh at room two, and then we've got the the secret after party as well. So, if please come along to that, it'd be good to see everyone before I go. If you want to join Patreon or we're thinking about increasing your monthly Patreon pledge, then there has never been a better time as of last week. This is my only income now. I'm just going for it. So, and also shouts out to people who prefer to use YouTube mem YouTube memberships or, or coffee.com. I'm just going to double down and work harder with no more distractions. And I've got no safety net from other jobs that I've been working. But I feel like by taking on, when, when lockdown finished, I just took on too much. I took on too much work while there was so much personal issues going on as well. I took on so much work that I feel like I neglected the situation that I was in, the, the blessing that was doing a podcast and doing the live streams. 
and I feel like by trying to take too much on, maybe I neglected this side of things. And this side of things, I'm enjoying a lot more than organising gigs or performing gigs. I just need a wee break for that, if you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, anything else? Anything else? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, appreciate everyone who has been supporting since March 2020. I've got a wee note here. We've done 500 live streams, which all ends, about 800 YouTube videos, 60 audio podcasts, about 30 live gigs, a bunch of music festivals, commissioned music videos, gave artists free advice, shared a bunch of memes on Facebook. And I can't remember all the things that we've done, but that's because of the Patreons uh, supporting what you call that radio does. So, appreciate that, I really do appreciate that. I don't know where I would be without this. So I, as of November 11th, gratitude and attitude, November 11th, because I've gratitude for everything I've got, but still pissed off at everything. I'm not in the state of everything in general. The good times are coming though, I can feel it. But it's time to fuck off and reset and focus on what I want to be when I grow up. I should call that radio. And we are live for an interview with Gary Fraser who's just launched an amazing independent TV show on YouTube called Supply and Demand. And it's incredible, man. I think Gary's here now. How are you doing, mate? I am good. I was not smoking or drinking tea there. <laughs> it's all good, mate. I'm on the, I'm on the water. I'm on the water. <laughs> First of all, mate, just I've been impressed with loads of stuff you've done. You know, I remember watching Everybody's Child way back in the day and then being blown away then. And obviously, I've known you for years as well. And your hip hop just gets better and better. And then obviously the train spawned two thing. It was amazing as well. But I think that the most impressive I've ever been is watching Supply and Demand. I don't know how you've done this independently. My first question is, how the fuck did you make that independently, basically? It was really difficult. We shot for two years or something. I thought I would have been doing the grey area, part two, part three, and smashing it. And then the BBC absolutely shafted us. During the pandemic, they had us writing the follow-up to it. And I guess I should have fucking known. I should, It was the BBC. I should have fucking known when they wanted to support working-class Scottish culture. It's just them and Creative Scotland have such a, a vice-like grip on anything. You can't mention a drug death. You can't mention HIV and Glasgow's homeless community. Like, there's certain things that you just cannot get past editorial guidelines. So we know that there's a world that exists out with media. And that's why, like, your podcast, the leather podcast, or that's why media is becoming so democratised. Because there is an absolute appetite for this working class culture. So I just spent two years writing the follow-up to the grey area and then the BBC says that we didn't want to do it and then at the time I'd, I was staying up in Dundee I was in homeless accommodation up in Dundee and then I moved back to homeless accommodation in Edinburgh and then when I moved back down it was the pandemic and then when I moved back down the local police were abusing their powers so it was nothing today we controlling the pandemic they they just were really strict and really they were just like really like clamping down on stuff so like it became really important for me to to try and create community 
at a time when you couldn't even hang around in three, four, or anything like that. And I just felt like that we were getting the wheel pulled over our eyes, so to speak. So I created these adult drama workshops. And like for me, the most beautiful thing about art is when it has a cathartic nature to it. And it's not just when I heal from creating that art, it's when everybody around me starts healing through the process. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things because you have millions and millions that are pumped into systems and and pumped into services and, and it fails. You know, it just it fucking it just completely fails. And that's been the case for the last 30, 40 years with drugs. And that we know that. Like we know that. So like for me it became important then that I wanted to create something that was cathartic, but then I pulled all these guys together from everywhere, really, and they all had their own issues, and they just done that thing again, which the non-actors seem to do, which is just they embrace it, and then we run with it, really. And I, I just thought to myself, as a screenwriter, I thought, fuck it, what is the most unfundable storylines that I could imagine? And I love African-American culture, and I love the fact that when I watch sort of programs around Compton or I watch programs about the Bronx or you get to understand the struggle, it, very quickly you see that across there it's obviously more racially driven, but like it's definitely like in the vein of the Black Panthers, it's it's about class. It's not about race. That's a trick that the, the, the authorities try. They make it about race, but when it becomes about social and economic circumstances, you then, for me, I was looking at Snowfall or I was looking at The Wire or I was looking at different things and it became obvious that as part of our narrative on, on say, Scotland's war on drugs, maybe not the Britain's, British war on drugs, but just keeping it in a Scottish context, what role does the security services play in that? Like, we literally invaded Afghanistan and our heroin supply went through the roof. There was more heroin on the streets after September the 11th. So that became, to me, like, well, 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 what has gone on in there? What, what, what's, who plays a part in it? Like, because we have this thing which is the Daily Record and the, the Sun newspaper love to do this sort of 1940s type language that they speak, which is about the gangsters and the, they, they create this community, Mr. Big, who's peddling all this stuff and, and makes communities a misery. And, and it's not really like that. Like, we, we kind of know that's, that's not the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, fucking hell, families sell each other Valium and die of them. Families sell each other heroin and die of them. It's no I can't say there's a big bad guy out there with a ponytail standing at the, the primary schools trying to get kids high. It's much more complex than that, I guess. So with that being said, I started doing research and, and I came across this extraordinary article which says that the the Moldovan economy was siphoned from I don't know, it was like a, a billion dollars or something like that was siphoned out the Moldovan economy, but it was registered to a shell company in Pilton. So I was just like, I found that fascinating. And then there was a couple of other instances where drug dealers had been caught, and they, this is all in public domain, but drug dealers had been caught. There was one in particular who was sentenced to like, it's like 22 years in prison, and he served two years that jail sentence was sent to an open prison and then apparently it was found dead of a heroin overdose like three weeks later but then it became out that he was also an informant for MI6 so just based on that I started seeing this world where I was like well what would happen if I had this imaginary family 
And we all know that our soldiers are brave laddies and brave women that fight in these foreign wars, right? I, I think that anyway. And the way they're treated when they come back, which is the failure of their mental health services, the, the failure of housing, the failure of funding and stuff like that, I felt it was easier for me to create a, a main character who was a soldier because that's our heroes, you know, that that's patriotic identity and stuff like that. So I just fictionalised from that point onwards this imaginary character. Frank being in the army, PTSD, still trying to come to terms with it, and then this family who are obviously, when he's been in the army, they've been up to all sorts with international drug dealing and stuff, at which point it becomes fantastical. At some point it just becomes my imagination. It's not based on reality. It's certainly not. Like even I was looking at one of the articles in the Daily Record and it's saying like Edinburgh Gangster Series explores the hidden side of the It's not an Edinburgh Gangster Series. It's, it's, it's not that. Do you know what I mean? Like, that stuff's... Like, I wouldn't even speak about that stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's not really what I do. So, I it, it became that. And really, it became film school for the lot of us because I would go out and shoot. And initially, I was editing, camera, directing, location, security, just everything. And the one, I was just, like, pretty much hit, set myself on a nervous breakdown. But... I became film school, so then I would go out, would shoot scenes, I would just let the guys improvise, and they would give us a brilliant performance. But then when I was back in the edit, I, I couldn't cut the footage together because, say, we had an amazing performance for this angle, we didn't get enough angles of that performance to then edit it coherently. So that became like a learning process. So suddenly it became, it was like, oh shit, this is a lot harder than what I was doing, it was impossible for me to do it ourselves. And then we really had to shut down production for a while. And we got Ryan, who became our DP, he came in and the guy's just amazing. He could trip and fall with a camera and, and get a good shot. So he came in and really saved the project. He came in with a, a professional attitude, but because he's from a traveler background, he understands prejudice. He understands what we are trying to do in a, in a context of Scotland. And that became important because if it was just like a, a film school type cameraman, the cast wouldn't have got on with him, the community wouldn't have got on with him, but yeah, the community really just embraced him. So we, we broke for a while, and unfortunately, like one of our actors died, Jim, God bless him. Jim passed away. So when Jim passed away, I was sitting there, obviously gutted, like grieving, and I think, I don't think all the cast were sort of grieving and, and took that as well. And it became like, I guess, necessity to make this thing. I didn't want Jim's death and part in this to just end. So we were, and we're still sitting with like loads of footage of Jim. So we, we, we tried to, or I tried to write the first episode where we could include Jim really and keep, keep him alive and pay respect to him and stuff like that as well, which obviously you can see it when that funeral and you see Jim, like that's real that's real emotion that everybody's gone through. So even though it's a fictional funeral scene, like me, Mark, and Mark's dad, we we were at Jim's funeral. So when I'd done our funeral scene, I had to try and remember like what that was like, what the feelings were like, what the emotions were like, so I could try and take it to, to, to that level. And, and, and I think it works, you know? Yeah, man, absolutely. I think the acting was amazing. The filming's amazing. 
I got it, that vibe you're talking about, the wire. I don't think Scotland's ever had an equivalent to the wire. I could feel the wire vibe there. Also, maybe like a wee bit of lock, stock and two small barrels, yeah. the way that there was a there was a, a kind of humorous element to it, which is, is great because a lot of the, the Scottish, the gritty stuff, it's either, you know, it's either stupid or it's just pure grim all the way through. So there was some light-hearted moments. And yeah, man, I just thought it was... Like, what what we do is I'll, I'll play the trailer just now, just in case anyone's not aware of the show yet it's called supply and demand it's it's free to watch on youtube series one's out there i'll put a link in the comments and i mean how much of it is filmed or how much it's written when's the next one i'm writing it now really that's me going back to the we just done a crowdfunding campaign there and it's only a couple of hundred quid but we got i got a couple of hundred quid there it means that i i can just go and write the next again episode i can put food in the, the fridge and not have to worry about anything for a week and a bit and then just go out and write now Amazing. And shows, uh, we've got Zesh in the house. Hello, Zesh. <laughs> I'm seeing Ryan is next level. We've got Hank, legend, supply and demand was class. As pricey as the, the bold James Price. Do you know James? I, I You know what? Me and James are, like, I feel like, when I was doing the grey area, I felt it so important. Like, I, I knew this guy was going to shine one day. So when I was doing the, the sound design, I think it was on the grey area, pulled James into the sound design. Just so you could just have that experience, he's sitting with somebody like John Coburn at Four Two Two Studios, and to see him step up now as well. The fact, like even with BBC and stuff like that as well, like his thing there, they should just fucking fund it. It's not even like rocket science. Just I fund the series and stoke the fucking a bit. Well, it for anybody doesn't know, Dog Days is out on iPlayer just now. It's a, a, a six twelve minute episodes. It's, it's worth checking out. And all James Price's short films as well, are absolutely top class. So check check out his stuff. But we'll be going to play our shouts to Lou Rogerson's, who's also in the house. Hello, Lou. Hello, Ali. And hello, Rock Vibrations, who said, yep, bang on. So, I thanks everyone for tuning in. I'm just going to play the trailer just now. And if anyone's got any questions about supply and demand, then leave in the comments. We are live just now, unless you're watching in the future, in which case, we're But this is uh, the trailer for supply and demand. Listen up. Half a billion dollars siphoned out Moldova into a shell company registered in Pilton. Pilton? Pilton. We need to know what's going on. You've ever these fucking schemes? Your cousin's funding terrorists. Did you know that? We left a war zone and came back to one. It's your fucking family, Frank. Frank, your dad's dead. Smack lives matter. Listen, I'm done with talking about everything that gets sold from now on in. We're on a percentage. Fucking milk it. This place is full of goods and tax dodging ratchets, eh? guys are making millions from misery. I can get you complete immunity. Yes, amazing. Yeah, man, absolutely brilliant. 
it's just type in supply and demand into YouTube, or I'm just going to put the link in the comments for anyone who's who's not seen it yet. And it was good to see some familiar faces there. Five O is that his first ever acting debut? I think so. Aye, he's just an amazing fucking energy man. Like even with him as well. Like the BBC could search for a million comedians and still not find anybody as good as him. Like he's popular with the kids in every fucking school that you go to in Scotland. Like every school that you go to, they're on his TikTok, sharing sharing his stuff. It's it's just it's incredible. What what he's accomplished just in himself by by nothing, no support, but just that that necessity to get his voice heard, I guess, and become the artist. Like to see him now, we done a gig the other night there, and it was fucking brilliant. So you see him developing now as an artist. It's just uh, it's just an amazing thing to see. To be honest with you. I seen some footage of that. You live streamed it on your page, Sketchy Beats. Aye, aye, aye. The crack there. What was going on? Well, was that was at the celebration, the lunch party kind of thing. Aye, it, it was important for me to try and have that because, like, I obviously I, I rap and I make movies, and I didn't really go to pubs or clubs or any of that shit. I made a smoker, so it was just good for me to try and pull everybody together. And then sometimes when you do these things, like at the end of that night. There was a wee lad there, he was like 19 year old. And I says to him, look, I'll make sure you get a chance to perform and stuff like that. And he'd obviously thought I'd forgotten about him. And at the end of the night, just as everybody was sort of like hyped, I then pulled him on and, and gave him his opportunity. He was never nothing to do with supply and demand to follow him. He was n- no in cast or anything like that. But to give a wee laddie like that a, a chance to perform in you know, a room full of fucking boisterous people like us, it was brilliant. So that's what I mean. It, it becomes like another chance to shine the light on people and stuff like that as well but the other reason I done that was to try and test the market for myself because like when it comes to my music it's not like up to standard support and promote me it's not like 1250 support and promote me but I have an audience of people who want my stuff so the best thing that I can do then is put on a gig myself see who comes to it try and get as many email addresses as possible and then when we put on another gig contact all the email addresses and just say we're putting on a gig and I think if I if I say next Wednesday we're putting on a gig it would sell out again so make that what you will do you know what I mean it's easier to to make music than what it's easier for me to to make a song and, and do a gig than what it is to actually go through the production process which is a, a lot more you can have 17 20 people obviously for supply and demand we only had a crew of four but uh, it's just a bit easier to get that as an as a art form to, to get that out so that's why I've done that as sketches and obviously we, we paid them like 200 quid for that night as well so we've got to do that again and I think to try and raise some funds have you got the link for the crowdfunder you can send me I don't know live I'll send it over to you send it over to me man I'll, I'll put it in the comments and put it in the bio for people who watch this in the future you can see it in the bio or you'll come up in the comments and guys just stick a just stick a few quid in if you can it makes a difference I still feel like I'm back for asking a few money <laughs> Well, wait, well, that's I've I've only managed to continue to do this show for years because of people do it supporting the Patreon, and it's it's not a lot of money, but it's enough just to to keep it going. So, um, shouts to all the people who do it, and um, I think we are in quite an interesting time where you know we can, you know, look. At, I, I was doing a Stegs gig last week, just doing a wee doing some interviews and stuff, and we do need to just find a way to fund our own media, and um, because we we can't just be wait for the gatekeepers, and then you know when you've got your gatekeepers. I mean, it's great to see when they, when something good does come through, but how much of it is the final project that they would want, I don't know. 
And speaking of pricey, he's saying my first time seeing a proper sound design and Zesh say, quite rightly saying the lassie that played Laura in Dog Days was unbelievable, great watch. I totally agree with that. And it was great to hear sort of the Dundonian accent on telly as well because obviously it's, a, it's quite Glasgow-centric. A lot of media in Scotland, I'm well aware of that. And it's not even a typical Glaswegian accent. It's the, the studio Scottish accent. Who was it played Laura? Was that Shannon, the bird with the blonde hair? I think so, I think Ireland. Maybe maybe Pricey can tell us who it was. I thought she was always going to be a good actress. Um, hello, CJ. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, doing well. And Zesh is also saying, uh, may rest in peace. You've done him justice with the storytelling. G, the humour was needed and executed. What's happening, Mark? Hope you're well. I'm well, Zesh. Good to see you a bit. Was it Zesh performing as well? I, I thought I'd seen him in the live stream, but I didn't see him actually performing. Aye, uh, he performed. He, he performed. He, he ducked out the live stream. He's got warrants. Now, I'm only joking. He doesn't, he doesn't have warrants. <laughs> Aye. Well, I've actually got a video lined up here of of, of your hip hop. We'll go back to the we'll go back to the, the film directing stuff because I've got a few more questions about that that I'd like to ask you. But just to, while we're talking about the the live hip hop, I mean, just seeing your development as a hip hop artist is incredible, man. I mean, that the, well, the song we're about to play just now, "Welcome to the Scheme," and I mean, even the I can't remember what was the name of the tune you you were. I think you just finished when you were on the show last time with Kitty Get Claws and stuff during lockdown. I can't even remember what the last one was, what the last song was, man. I was yeah, it was, it was, this is 2020. Feels like another lifetime ago since then, man. Uh, so, we've got, w- welcome to the scheme. An absolute banger of a tune. Could you just give us a wee um, intro to it? Aye, it was the same thing. Like, you can see, like, you can just see my bit come to life in it. So, you just create that art and that community where it never really happens. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. Amazing, and I'm just going to, while we're watching this, guys, I'm going to put the, the GoFundMe is in the comments now. So if you enjoy supply and demand and you want to see more stuff like that, then stick a tenor in if you can. It's going to good work. And this is Welcome to the Scheme. Step to yeah, the yeah. scheme, my son. Get shock and start to fun, ha, ha, ha. Step to the scheme, my son. Get shock and start to fun, ha, 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 Stepped in the scheme, my son. Get short, get stopped, have fun. Ha 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 ha. Stepped in the scheme, my son. Get short, get stopped, have fun. Ha 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 ha. One hot acquitter, stabbed in the shit. I got some killers and some drillers on the payroll. They know it's time you handle business and label. Doing the big man when the wee man say so. And mostly I'm just checking if my words are fucking weapon. That's a runner, cause I'm surrounded by street legends. Who be carrying some weapons? So the stash is in the deck and see it for the effect. And like the tears come by the dozen. Like fuck, I miss my wee cousin and I'm shouting to God. Like where the fuck is he? We were busy getting lizzy, but the busy's huddled in the station. No. Coming to the charges we facing. Step in the scheme, my son. Get shot, get stabbed, have fun. Ha 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 ha. Step in the scheme, my son. Get shot, get stabbed, have fun. Ha 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 ha. Step in the scheme, and no more fucks left. Another cunt gone by a fucking drug death. And focusing on mental when I spat an instrumental like fucking body kill. Jail rules in effect. So who the fuck's next? We hitting the cover, losing added like every seven hours. Bounce with an ounce, get the full house shaking. Looking at the party and my drugs they taking. I'm a scheme. Boy, so I see the shit proudly Show up in the Audi, yes sir Handing out the testers in the Vespa Welcome to the scheme, my son Get shot, get stabbed, have fun
ha 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 Welcome you to scheme my son Get shot, get stabbed, have fun Ha 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 Edinburgh city where the lifestyle's gangland Guns go bang bang in my slum Six million ways to die, choose one Assalamualaikum, made a number T Remember times with my brothers From the shields and the guddy Doing tons, robbing cunts, anything for money But I've never been the type, I'm not a sucker to these honeys Imagine taking risks just to splash on these dotties For 23 hour lockups in the cell doing puppies Irish in my blood, half Pakistani buddy So dinner time for curries, lunchtime chip buddies my, my dad was packy, so they'd ask me where his shop is And all along he's locked up for hustling those boxes Special kind of cloth, the cop shop couldn't stop this And I haven't told my story, all I gave was a synopsis So what's the plan and what's the mission? It's 2021, fuck that 2020 vision though Nothing's changed, walk down, leave, walk with me Still see the poverty, still know there's robberies Still get slapped for not talking to me properly Never mind, I already told them I'm living lawfully Still got the piggies on the chase trying to stop me Still know there's enemies with blades wanna job me Stepped in the scheme, my son Get shot, get stabbed, have fun Ha 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 Stepped in the scheme, my son Get shot, get stabbed, have fun Ha 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 Walaikum assalam I'm with that Free lunch He had too much chit chat Knock knock Who's there Where the shit at Watch that Young G It's got a kickback I said my young drillers To where the bricks at I'm your unlucky card Call me blackjack If you're looking for clout I can dish that My life for your life I can risk that I got blasted up It was a mishap He got stabbed up When it was pitch black He got fractured I took his bitch to his mattress Where she got damaged And pampered shit Still respect you You come through bitching With the real man Assume natural position got, got her in the kitchen Whipping, mixing Bicarbonate with Colombian dishes Just business Had to fuck with her mate Before she fucks with the white And go talks with the pigs Have her break it down to point one I'm out So when I'm done with this bitch You can chat to your missus My jigger Don't flash a nine inch two You're fucking dreaming If you think you can step to the scheme From outside And they're not fucking scheming Step to the scheme my son Get shot, get stabbed Have fun Ha 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 in the scheme, my son, get shot, get stabbed, have fun, ha 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 ha. As you call that radio, we're live with Gary Fraser. Lots of love in the comments for that track, Rock Vibrations is love it. That beat is dirty, and what a collaboration. That track is three styles, three stories, one cracking track from Malcolm Milkman. And uh, Stuart Graham saying that takes me back to my scheme, good stuff, good stuff. But absolute buyer of a track, man. Well, are you working on an album or anything like that? I mean, obviously, the supply and demand, I suppose that's the one good thing about doing your own soundtrack, is you don't need to worry about getting royalties or permission. Oh, well, that's funny because now my YouTube platform is a paid platform, so now I get paid for the music as well, which is great. It's only like, I don't know, like 80 pence or something like that just now, but it's not the point. I guess the point is that I'm now in charge. Like, I control what I put out. I have complete creative control, so... I want to do a supply and demand soundtrack, really. So we're way up to Dundee on Friday. We've got to go and record some stuff on Friday and not got a clue what we're going to record, but that's the, the, the beautiful thing about being a writer. It's just, it's there in abundance anyway. And I think, like, with Sean, he's sort of been off the front line for a wee while now, getting his shit together. So you see him coming back now, like, it, it's, it's needed. Do you know what I mean? Because I think he's just... That that title song that was on the the other trailer, like it's it's it, one of the best songs that I've heard. Not even like on a Scottish context, it's just unbelievable lyricism and unbelievable like ability within himself. Do you know what I mean? So I am really interested to see where this goes. And also, drill music's not really my thing, but to try and 
incorporate that in, it means that I then start fucking with some younger artists as well. So they try and pull a name into the fold. So if it stops them feet like out of this rule that nobody can be dealing when they're around me, it's just the way I am. So if they manage to put away the, the knives and I know that I'm a fucking charity, but if they manage to put away the knives and the, the drugs, the, the dealing life, then I'll happily accept them into my fold as well. Do you know what I mean? And that's just the way I am really. So you just never know who's got to come up next and what they've got to come up with, but it's, it's just a good position to be in, I guess. And I, we're away at the mosque the night, funny enough, me, Sean and Yaya. So uh, I, we're away at the mosque the night, change days, Mark. <laughs> and it's uh, 17,000 views since, was it Friday it came out? Aye, uh, but I think it's a wee bit more than that now. It's, it's, I don't know what happens with YouTube the way they do the, the thing, because it's, it says on my... Uh, it's a delay, there's a delay. There's a delay, right. So whatever you've got will be the right one. On your, your YT studio updates, I think, by the hour. But I think it takes about a day to, for it to catch up, usually. 19,161 just now. So, and the channel... Right, Edible. It has with absolutely zero media coverage, really. Zero media yeah, Edinburgh Live done a... Is the papers? I, I think the Daily Record done a... a, a well, they just cut and pasted Edinburgh Live. Lazy fucking journalism for the record, as usual. But aye, Edinburgh Live done us a good turn, I guess, putting it on their thing as well. What's the best bit of advice you've ever had? Or is it is there a bit of advice that you maybe give to the to the sort of the young ones who come to you know, you're just saying there about how you know you put away the knives, don't be dealing round here if you're gonna get involved in film. Is there any is there any good bits of advice that you would give to people in general for maybe just starting out in film or maybe trying to become an actor or wanting to become a director? I think just go out and do it. Like that, I think that's the thing. Like, some people wait for it to happen. Other people wait for them to be motivated. But for me, like, I've been making movies for eighteen years, and every single day I teach myself something new about the filament process, about script writing, and I guess with that other side of things, like, it's very easy for me to be. I feel quite comfortable in life now, so it's very easy for me to say to people, "Give up your only financial means," but. Certain types of money come with certain types of consequences and it means you don't have peace of mind. And I think the drug game, if you do it properly, it will give you PTSD. PTSD, it will give you like... Uh, the world is a reflection of you. You know, if you're jumping about stabbing cunts and fucking making money and, and try to be that, then that karma comes back to you. It could be your, your mum's door gone in. It could be not being able to spend time with your children. Like if you're in the jail, you can't be a dad. And for me, the, the, I, I know plenty of people around me, like my brother, Billy, to walk away from the life, to be a proper man, is to look after your family. It's not to sell as much coke and, and try and be Scarface. It's not to try and... It's not to, to, to embrace the, the, the devil within us. You know, you have to try and heal. And that that's a very important word because not a lot of people try and heal. So for me and all the shit that I've come through, I'm in a blessed position now when I try and speak about that stuff. And I, I usually speak to people about their central nervous system and what they do to fix that and what they do to maintain that. Because I might sound a bit patronising, but like, what are we? We're physical, we're emotional and spiritual beings. And one of that things that we never ever talk about as a society is our soul. Our soul is not something that we get when we die. 
our soul is something that has been here millennium before we were even here. And we have untapped resources that are within us. You didn't need to take acid or DMT to get that. Like, we have that within us. But if you're conditioned by either the drug game or you're conditioned by media or, or all these things that are just modifying our brains constantly, just constantly, the phones, the internet, we just live in this time now where we lose our identity. So for me, when you embrace the beautiful things, the universe starts paying you back. But if all your focus and attention is on being dishonest, the universe also pays you back. So it has consequences either way. So so I think it's important for people, especially in schemes, because like schemes are, are, are fucking toxic environments. Like everything in it is designed to either make you not well, make you stressed, whether that be the doctor surgeries, whether that be the chemists, the bookies, the chippies, the very fabric of our nature is to make us unwell and then depend on them for something. But when you embrace that other side, which is your soul and your physical fitness as well, like it's important for me, like, don't get me wrong, I might say to somebody like, look, and this is just for me, like, I want people to walk away from dealing drugs. I want people to, to feel the ability to walk away from carrying knives and, and carrying weapons and living like that. But that doesn't mean to say I want people to walk away from violence, like where, where males and testosterone is, is in, our, in our being as well. So you have to find a way to control that. So for me, it comes through martial arts, like in that in supply and demand. Like there are so many fucking really hard people in supply and demand, but they're not walking about up the tune, hitting people or bullying people or anything like that. Like they have controlled violence. Like Chris Bungard is fighting on. Saturday and Cage Warriors, like the guy, the Polish people, they're all competitive fighters. So there was a lot of professional fighters in supply and demand. And you can learn off of that. You can learn how to embrace that part because there is a mindfulness that comes with that as well. And that's about, for me anyway, it's about working class culture again, whether it be boxing, whether it be fucking Kung Fu, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu. Whatever that is, you can embrace that because there is a, a, a code of ethics that come with that. There is, there is principles and fundamentals that you learn with that. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Like I'm 44, coming up for 45, and, and I've been doing Muay Thai now for a year and a half. And my life has changed because I'm gone there and I'm putting in the work and I'm, I'm humbled every single day by... 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds that are booting fuck out of me and can batter me, no problem at all. So I know I'm going in there and that comes with me like, okay, so that means like beforehand, I thought I was at war with the world. Like I thought the way I was before when I was on the drugs and stuff like that, that, and basically I'd watched too many movies, you know, and I thought I was at war with the world and I didn't realise I was at war with myself. I was self-harming myself with the substances that I was taking I was self-harming myself with the media that I was consuming. I was self-harming myself with the people that I was surrounding myself with because it was all toxic to my soul. So now I'm on that other side of the fence where I can see the damage that was all there. And like I get to spend time. If my wee girl phones me up and she's got a problem, I can jump in the car and go and get her and we can talk. If I was then 10 years in the jail, 16 years in the jail for being a, a real street cunt, I wouldn't be able to do that. 
you know. So I get peace of mind now, and and I guess that's what I say to some of the the, the youngsters. I guess that are, that are and I, and I say it like drill music plays a part in it as well. You know, a lot of them do the drill music, and it's very violent, orchestrated, and they perpetuate a life that they've probably not lived because they're young. And they've no experienced the, the 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 jail cells like that. They've no experienced twenty three hour double ups. They've no experienced fucking riots. They've no experienced funeral after funeral after funeral. So it becomes incumbent on people like me to go back into places like Muirhouse and Pilton or Postal or fucking like when I talk about my scheme, I'm not even talking about just Pilton and Muirhouse. Like I'm talking about Glasgow schemes. I'm talking about. Dundee schemes, I'm talking about Fife schemes, I'm talking about Falkirk schemes, I'm talking about every, like, there is much more benefit speaking like that because it's the same shit that we're all going through. But, you know, you can't preach to people either. I guess for me, I just try and live the way that I want to live. And, and because I'm passionate about it, hopefully other people go, I want a bit of what he's got. Absolutely, man. It's uh, the. I was, you're talking about the nervous system and mindfulness. That's something I'm trying to get a wee bit more into just to be a bit less stressed out, do a wee bit more exercise. And I was watching, I don't know if you're know, Andrew Huberman. That's my favorite. Is it? Aye, I've just got into him the last, the last few weeks or so, man. It's been interesting stuff with the, with the double sniff and then breathing out longer than you said. I was like, shit, actually, works. Wow. So that's the parasympathetic system or something. Uh, you've got your limbic system as well. Like a lot of people don't know when you wake up in the morning and you go for a walk as the sun's coming up, that then sets you up for the rest of the day and the way you deal with stress. There are certain things that we can do. Like we, we have five stages of, of mind when we wake up. You know, we have alpha, delta, omega. I can't remember what the, the order off the top of my head. But if you can understand what your brain waves are doing, at certain periods of the day, then you can then have optimum performance for sport, optimum performance for creativity. And that is fucking beautiful because you you then start picking apart. I don't need to go to university to be an artist. I don't need to go to an official institution to learn that. And it comes back on us again. We have so much within. Like we have God within us. We have divinity within us. And that's when you start looking at the neuroscience, everything, and it becomes... It becomes so obvious to me. Massively, it becomes obvious. Yeah, I think, Andrew, what you're saying is you've got to try and get things that we do, you know, get daylight before you get screen time. And obviously, it's not, you can have a really busy week, so it's not always possible. But, you know, I try to go out for a cycle, get the daylight before I look at my phone. Two, well, I've done it for two days in a row. Listen to me, I acting like Mr. Miyagi here. Done <laughs> two days in a row, but I feel better for it. That, and I've been taking a wee bit of ashwagandha as well, which the missus put us on to, and I do feel better for it. Lion well, men I, as well. It also, I was going to say, I was listening to you. Lion's men, I've got some in the house. I've actually got some, so I'll maybe get into the Lion's men. Also, Rick Rubin book. I'm listening to the audio book just now, which is great. You know, you're talking about you're going out to record on Friday. I'd recommend listening about that, because basically what Rick Rubin's doing is just talking about the, the sort of the magic of creativity. And he's saying a lot of things that you already know. But see, just to have that reinforced, I'm away to record some new stuff. Well, going to rehearse some new stuff on Thursday. And I'm absolutely buzzing about it now. I, I was a wee bit nervous last week because I was like, I hope it's good, the new stuff. But I'm actually just excited to get in about it. And that, that, that could probably be one of my next question about creativity with regards to, for you, is it just like just being in the right zone? Or do you have different creativity? Do you 
go in a writing mode for film or do you go in a writing mode for writing your raps or your poems or is it just the same thing for you? I find it really difficult. Like if if I'm, my guilty pleasure is writing rap music. Like it's very easy for me to do. It's almost like a cop-out really. If I have a joint, start slamming on instrumentals or I'll have a feeling and I find it hard to, to, to describe what that feeling is. But when I write the bars down and, and make a, a good hook or a, a or a, a clean 16 on the verse, I can then sort of reflect on that and, and, and understand a wee bit more about myself. But when it comes to screenwriting, it's a very isolated thing. Like I have to really... The, I heard James Cameron say this before, the guy at an Avatar. Ideas are very easy. But you have to listen to the ideas that come and go, but then the residue of that idea stays in your brain. Listen to that, because that's your intuition telling you something. That's really what I try and do more often than not, is try and listen to my intuition. The the music, and the, especially rap, I've never expected that to pay. I've never expected to get any checks, any any recording deals, any... I couldn't give a fuck about BBC One Extra or Fire in the Booth or all that or any of that. I didn't give a fuck about any of that because, like, when I done Warzone, which is one of the songs that I done, one of the best feelings in my life, like, last summer, I think, I was driving through Pilton and the wee guys at the, the chippy had a Bluetooth speaker and they were playing my music. So, I... A bit dodgy, but I crept up them in the car and I was just watching them and I was just listening. And then I drove past another scheme, Muirhouse, which is my end scheme. And they were listening to it. And I had to fucking stop the car after it and just stop and be so have so much gratitude for that experience because I, I just thought back to the Gary that was selling smack, the Gary that was involved in everything, and then the Gary that was an absolute baron who, well before the drugs, well before everything else, and how many people have lost how many people we've all lost in these areas through drug deaths, through suicides, through all the the usual stuff. And I just stopped because I was like, fuck, man. I made them listen. They didn't even know it, but I made them listen. And that was beautiful for me. Like, like That meant that I couldn't give a fuck about Charlie Sloth. I couldn't give a fuck about when people say best British urban act and that. They're not talking about us up here. They're just not talking about us up here. With a different nationality, with a different culture, black, white, Asian, whatever, but with a different culture up here, and we're not even recognised. You get some artists who who are amazing, but you have to just sort of like what young fathers do, and like what Loki does, or like what other Glasgow artists do. You just create your own market, create your own lane, and be as regional as you want, because then you have a certain authenticity about you. You're not trying to rap and an English accent or an American accent, but then I guess with film making it's different because rap is my ego. I still rap like I'm out there selling drugs and I know I'm not. And sometimes I feel like fuck, what am I actually trying to say here? Like I never rap when everything's gone good. I never ever write rap music when I'm fucking everything's buzzing. I never talk about BAFTAs and all the other stuff. It's the trauma that comes through in it. But with the filmmaking, it's a different beast altogether because then I'll write something and then the actors will read it. And then when they read it, they'll start putting their opinions on it. 
and then when they start putting their opinions and views from their character, this other mothball starts happening, and it, it, it's basically momentum. There's an energy there, and momentum starts driving it, and it becomes, again, that other vehicle. And then what I do is I'll go back to writing sort of music again because I hear the film before I see it. Like, I'll hear the scenes, I'll, I'll, I'll hear the sound design, I'll, I'll hear the scene before I actually see the scene. And then I can start sort of polishing it and, and going over it and taking criticism or feedback or a wee bit of negotiation, I suspect. And then before you know it, we're on set. And, and that is a, a, an incredible experience as a film director, actually being on set and, and doing the damage. Well, you mentioned the BAFTAs there, and you mentioned earlier on about feeling blessed. There's probably been that many times, but is there any days in particular where there was just like a big turning point, whether that was you just felt more confident that you were on the right path? Because obviously coming from a scheme like myself, the idea that you think, you know, we're very good in Scotland that we're clipping people's wings before they get above their station, and that's that's the best and the worst qualities of Scottishness, I think. But we, we're really quick to clip people's wings before they're even done anything yet. So it can be really hard to have get the confidence to go out there and put yourself out there and be vulnerable with that. There's probably been a few now in your career, but has there been anyone that stuck out where you went, you know, you felt good, you woke up and you felt, yes, I'm on the right path and I think I can do this? There's been a couple. My first movie won a MTV award, right? So that was a bit of like, I think I can do this. But when I graduated from college, all everybody else in my class went on to university and I went to Edinburgh Film Festival and I had a, a crate and I sat in front of the Edinburgh Film House and I had a, a board and I wrote on the board a quote for Boys for the Black stuff, like Giza Joe back and did that. And I just thought to myself, any sort of working class producer or any working class director will know that that's a, a, a famous quote for Boys for the Black stuff and this guy walked past me and he was asking me what I was doing and I told him I says I'm an up and coming film director I'm, I'm trying to get a job in the industry and all that shit and he's like have you got a show you and I was like yep I've got it here and I gave him it and he walked away from me and I, I was kind of like oh shit maybe I should have tried to like blag that a bit more so I thought I'll go back in and speak to him and then as I went into the film house there was like 15 20 people gathered around this guy and it turned out to be Shane Meadows. So he was like, do you want to come for a drink with us? Like, I was on like fucking 120 miles of methadone in six blue valleys at the time. Like, that was what I was taking on a daily basis. So as soon as that whiskey hit me, I was fucked. So I ended up getting drunk with him. We tomo for This Is England. And the next day morning, I got a phone call for Shane and he says like, that was the best student film I've ever seen in my life. He's like, do you want to come up and watch my movie, Ming and Tomo's movie? It's called Summerstown. I was like, Shane, I want to get into the fucking the, the film festival. Like, cunts like me didn't get in up there. And he was just like, look, I'll make sure you get in. So I go up to the cine world, and as I go up, the, the whole place is just packed. It's just sold out. And I go to turn and walk away, and we Tomo spots me. I get rushed through all these people, and I'm at the front of this big screen, this packed fucking cinema and then we're sitting watching Summerstown premiere at the Edinburgh Film Festival and then Tomo through the whole screen is sitting talking in my ear about Tolerance which was a short film that I'd done and then at the end of it 
Shane was just like, look, if anybody, if anybody wants to take a leaf, Gary Fraser's book, and is Gary here? And then obviously everybody in this whole fucking thing just looking at me. So that was one of the times I made friends with Shane then, and that gave me a bit of belief and, and confirmation about because they were telling me stuff about how hard the next few years are going to be, and I, I was a bit like bravado, I guess, like, nah, I can do this, I can, and I didn't realise how difficult it was going to be because when you stick to the course. Nobody's going to prepare you for not being able to eat properly, not being able to live properly, what you sacrifice from that and all that other stuff. But I guess when, one of the, 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 the most telling things for me is how serious I was taking it was when I'd done Everybody's Child, I toured around Europe. I managed to go to all these film festivals and sold out in Norway, Germany, Amsterdam. So I, was, I had these beautiful experiences, but I still had a drug habit. So I made a decision to myself that I was going to get clean. And I didn't know fuck all about narcotics and ominous or, or trauma or any of that type of wording back then. So I was just constantly just trying to get clean just and failing clean, relapse, clean, relapse. So for some reason, I flung myself into a homeless hostel and on 35 miles of methadone in a couple of valleys, I just quit. And I remember like walking about and I just had this, just all this trauma, all this 25 years of just psychological warfare just come and hit me. And when I was trying to explain to the drug counsellors, they would ask me about myself and I would tell them, like, I'm teaching at the colleges, I've won a BAFTA, I want to be a firm that, and they say, are you delusional? They kept thinking that I was just fucking delusional or something. And I had this belief in myself that I can be a, an amazing, great, film director and I started writing the grey area and I got all these addicts who were just doing treatment and they came in and started doing the same thing again they started owning these stories and everybody started healing and it was amazing and I got a phone call for well it's like eight months on I got a phone call for Irvin Welsh and he says to me that Danny Boyle wants my phone number so I gave him it Danny says he was doing train spotting too but I like to do some research around it would I like to act in it? And I says, I didn't act like that. I, I wouldn't act. I says, I make movies. I didn't act in them. And then I says to him, do you want to come up to this adult drama group that I'm doing? He came up to it and it sort of boosted everybody's confidence and, and mine's as well. And then he says to me that night, I'm going to cast all your guys. And then a couple of weeks later, he phoned me up and asked me if I wanted to be the second unit director on Trainspotting 2. And, I remember walking up to this, this big fucking film studio and I knew this is what I wanted to do in my life. Like, this opportunity has got to come once and I just just own it. And I did. I, I just absolutely smashed it. But that doesn't mean to say that I wasn't going to be homeless again or I wasn't going to be tempted with drugs again. It was just... The, the poverty struggle continues just because you're fucking doing train spotting and showing up at BAFTAs. Like, I fucking went to the BAFTAs and no ate for two days. Like, you know what I mean? It's... You're in a room full of people who they've probably got all their own struggles. Do you know what I mean? No, everybody in there comes from the, the 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 abject poverty that I come from, or the relative poverty, sorry, that I come from. So, I you then put the struggle into your work, so the grey area becomes social commentary. And shout out to the BBC originally who put it on their channel, and we we broke the viewing figures on their new channel. Like we absolutely smashed it. We had. Artists like India Rose and that for Dundee did the, the title track. Like we tried to include people again as well, and and in our journey, 
when we didn't need to, but we tried to include that because we seen that there was talent out there that wasn't getting any recognition and then you come again, you know, so it, it becomes like every year, every two years, when the pressure and the odds are stacked up against me, I smash it out of the park. And I guess that's in my nature now. Some people don't know whether they, they, they break because they've never been bent. For me, I feel like my whole fucking life's just been a constant pressure. So to to now be able to be free for a lot of that, it means that I'm much more productive. Like I've just wrote a book about my life in the last eight months, you know, so that'll be coming out soon as well. And the, the purpose of writing a book was to have ownership again and have full ownership because some obviously making a movie, I have ownership, but it might not make any money. So the chance was to actually write a book and have full IP rights and all that stuff. So I, as we things, and I guess that's when you trust the process and you trust the universe, that's what's going to happen. And that's very difficult when, when you're up against it because you're, you're, you're constantly tried and tested. Ali saying, uh, Gary, sounds like you're in a good place. <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Lou Rogerson saying that's a proper fairy tale of a story. Amazing. Zenga the Titan. Aye, it's good to hear about the journey. Zenga, one of the best freestylers in the country. Stuart Graham, love that story. And Weezan says, write for us because no one else does. <laughs> and um, she's agreeing with that. Trust me, exactly. Malcolm, going back a wee bit, and this is the first time in two days I've spent more than 20 minutes on the internet. Addiction to screen time is a real problem. It most certainly is. I don't think it counts. I don't think it counts when it should call that radio and it's Gary Fraser on the internet. I think that's a wee bit different. Hopefully everyone's getting some good stuff off the internet because it's not all bad. It's just that constant mindless scrolling, in it? Yeah. Mark Calver saying, you get in the morning, good time, divine. And discipline says rock vibrations. And Lou saying, I take a walk daily to help my mental and physical health, even just 20 minutes to help deal with stress better. Absolutely. Well, um, thanks everyone's comment. Gary, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure as always speak to you. This has done about an hour. Go and watch Supply and Demand on YouTube right now if you've not already seen it. I've put the link in the comments so you can just check it out right now. Don't even mess about. It's 40 minutes, probably the best 40 minutes of TV you'll see in the comments. And then if you enjoy it, there's a wee link to the GoFundMe below that as well. And go and support it because we, we, we just need to stop relying on the gatekeepers and create our own stuff. Yeah, Gary, what else, what else is what else coming? Obviously, you've got the you get episode two of Supply and Demand, and you've got a book. Anything else you want to give a shout-out to? Nah, just shout-out to Xanthia uh, and the baby and the kids and stuff like that as well. She's uh, holding it down for me so I can actually do my thing, which is, is great to have support. Shout-out to Billy and Gary J, who's working up at Dundee, and We Destiny and Faith, and Xanthia, We One Jessica. Have we got a song? To, should we finish with a song, I think? One of your own ones or anything else you're enjoying just now? Mm, fuck it, one of my own, eh? Some go to college, some go to jail. I think that's on a good amount of views now as well. Go to college. Yeah, God, you're 33,000, man. That's, that's outstanding. Brilliant stuff, man. All the best, Gary. One Thank you, Mark. Well I'm done. done. Supply and demand. It is, it is. I can't wait for episode two. And this is Some Go to Jail. So enjoy this tune, guys. And then go and check out Supply and Demand. It's free to watch on YouTube. And throw a few quid in if you can. Uh, nice one, Gary. Oh, yes, yes, mate. Gary Anthony Fraser, 45478, 8 10 p.m. One of the numbers, boss. 
I was reminiscing about my time spent in prison Man, he really didn't listen, try to kill us with prescriptions I was reminiscing about my time spent in prison Man, he really didn't listen, try to kill us with prescriptions Some go to college and some go to jail Some of them snitch and some get bail I'm like, pass the joint, cause it's time to inhale Bloodshot eyes, we the scheme sunrise And I've never robbed guys, and I've never mob ties You're a rapper with a bar, I'm a trapper with a scar Some for growing up, some for showing up So fair enough, my scars are beautiful Remember saying to Mikey at Brian's funeral Cause the world's reflection of us Now I write for us, cause no one else does Now you're at the sheriff in jury Caught with a jury, a victim of the drug death Is how they want to do you a victim of a drug death is how they want it to you Back down the scheme and there ain't no stopping me Drug squad spotting me, sidestep, chopper can't properly Walking with my sword tucked awkwardly Some go to college, some go to jail Some of them snitching, some get bail Some go to college, some go to jail Some of them snitching, some get bail Armed response, try to intimidate me Justice is blind, but my daughters can't see Two cars on the street, about eight man deep Let's play hide and seek, warrant check But I'm not saying nothing, got the trap line buzzing On the phone to my cousin, he's like bro, we got enemies If it was me, you'd do the shit for me Loyalty, honour and family Fuck the parents cause the scheme's made a man out of me Bouncing off these walls, I've been going through withdrawals Heroin, codeine, crack, cocaine But it can't numb the pain Like I'm off to the flame, these guns soft in the game Bro, I got the street fame Bro, I got the street name The dealers and the fucks come and fuck with me Hear the siren screams and these violent schemes With these violent teens Some go to college, some go to jail Some of them snitching, some get bail Some go to college, some go to jail Some of them snitching, some get bail I was reminiscing about my time spent in prison Man, they really didn't listen, try to kill us with prescriptions Kids feel abandoned in abandoned buildings Got the anger building in these high-rise children Literally these folk are making a killing But no willing to face the facts The media immediately attack And they go and point blame While twelve-year-olds sit on my stair and sell crack cocaine some go to college, some go to jail Some of them snitching, some get bail Some go to college, some go to jail Some of them snitching, some get bail